Walker for leading us this morning, and thank all of you for your presence today as we worship together. Our scripture for this morning is from the Old Testament. It's from Exodus chapter 32. We'll read together verses 1 through 14. This is a very familiar story to you if you've been in the church, whether for a long time or just a short while. It's a story of the Israelites in the wilderness and how they fashioned a golden calf and worshipped it. Hear God's word. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother and the priest, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all of the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. In verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Remember Moses is up on the mountain. Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have become quick. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol, cast into the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, said the Lord to Moses. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation, Moses. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please bow with me. 
May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people of God said, Amen. The people of Israel had been enslaved by the Egyptians for some 400 years. And as we read the story of the Exodus from Egypt, we are reminded of how God separated the waters of the Red Sea and how thousands upon thousands of Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. Their enemies were not so fortunate. The Israelites, however, were free. They were no longer enslaved. But were they? Within a few days, they complained because they did not have drinkable water, and God provided. You remember when God told Moses, their leader, to throw a stick into the waters of Marah, which was bitter? Miraculously, the water became not only potable, drinkable water, but it tasted sweet. God continued to bless the people as they came upon this place called Elim, and they camped, and they enjoyed palm trees and many springs, and God protected them. In fact, in chapter 15, God said, I am the God who heals you. God was at work among the people, but it didn't take them too long to begin to complain about being hungry. You see, when they were enslaved in Egypt, they had all the food that they could want, and they, could, and they had all the good food that they wanted, and it just wasn't the same out there in the wilderness, and they complained. But the problem is that one of the ways that the Egyptians controlled the people while they were enslaved was to give them good food like that. And so while they were free, they were remembering the, the better things about bondage, not all of the hardship and the torture and the other heinous things that were done to them while they were enslaved. Now they were in the desert, and it just took about a month for them to long to go back where they were enslaved, but where things were predictable and where the food was good and plentiful. But again, God provided to these people bread in the morning. We call it manna in heaven, from heaven, as we see in the scripture. And then in the evening, meat from quail. Evening and morning, there was enough food for everybody, each person for each day. But soon after, they would begin to complain yet again. This time it was complaining because they were in the desert. They cried, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And then Moses, almost ready to throw his hands up, said, Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. See, while the people were physically free, over 400 years of slavery was not going away in a month. Their minds and their thoughts, perhaps, were still in bondage. Though they were free, their thinking and their actions appeared just as they had been in the past. I don't know about you, but I think this happens to us today. Often we allow our past, our past decisions, our past sins, our past problems, the things that we wish we had done differently, we allow those things to control our actions and our thoughts and our, our minds today. We allow bondage to direct our future. But with God's help, we can overcome it. 
about three months in, Moses and the Israelites came to the desert of Sinai. And it was there that God saw that the people needed some boundaries. They needed some moral and ethical groundwork to help them to live, not just as people, but as God's chosen people. God spoke these words to Moses, who in turn gave them to the people. Exodus 20, we know them as the Ten Commandments. The story of the people continues, though. God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai. Moses entered the cloud that had settled on top of the mountain, and he remained there for 40 days and 40 nights. While on the mountain, God gave Moses some additional instruction about how to apply those laws, and then he also gave him instructions about how to build the tabernacle, which would be the center of the people's lives. Everywhere they would go, they would set up this tent, this large tent where they would all meet and gather and worship. The tent had the, at the center the most holy place, which contained the Ark of the Covenant of God. This is where the presence of God would dwell. This is where they would worship. Worship would be the very center of the community. But Moses had been up on the mountain for a long time, and the people got very impatient. Have you ever been praying for something and didn't get the answer you wanted and just wondered where, where in the world is God? The nursery is still empty, God. The job hasn't come. The relationship isn't fixed. My spouse is still addicted. Etc. You can fill in the blank. We have all been at a place where we wonder, why is God taking so long? And it can start to, um, we can start to doubt that God's involved in at all. Imagine yourself out in the middle of the wilderness and there is nothing familiar and your leader is absent and the one he has charged to be in place just isn't the same and you begin to wonder about all of this. What's Moses doing up there? Maybe he and God are playing chess. That's a long game. Maybe Moses is sick. Maybe Moses has died. And the people decided that they needed to do something in Moses' absence. What could be taking him so long? And they gathered around Aaron, as you heard me read in the text. They pressed in on him and they said, Make gods who would go before us. The one Moses talked about is not showing up. We want to get out of this desert and fast. And if Moses isn't going to lead us, well, something or someone else will. And so, as you heard in the text, Aaron acquiesced and gave in to their request. He could have said, no. We're not going to do that. Moses will be back. We need to be faithful. We need to be strong. We need to be prayerful. But rather, uh, Aaron 
absolved his leadership and gave in to the will of the people and said, all right, I tell you what, um, all you women and the sons and daughters, uh, give me the earrings and the other uh, gold that you, that you have, and we'll do something about it. And if you read back in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 12, the people had taken gold from the Egyptians before they left Egypt. And commentators believe that it was this gold that God had freely given them without having to go to battle while still in Egypt that would be useful for them later on. It was this same gold that they turned over to Aaron and he fabricated it and cast it into a golden calf and then they worshipped it. They took that which God had given them by grace and they created an idol and they violated the very commands that God had just given Moses to speak to them. This story, though, doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop in the center where God wants to bring judgment on the people. God wants to destroy them. The story gives us hope because neither Moses nor God gave up on the people. In this story, we see the very heart of God, and we see the heart of God moved by a person like you and me who intercedes on behalf of someone else. It helps me to know that intercessory prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful, and often prayer will not only change the circumstances, change the heart of God, but change us at the same time. We see the heart of God. When the people grew impatient, they cried out for someone or something else. And when Aaron gave in to their pressures, it would have been easy for God to start all over again, wipe the slate clean, destroy everybody, and call Moses back down from the mountain, and it would be a smaller group that would continue on and eventually inherit the promised land. But the story doesn't stop there, because in verse 11, the, the narrator says, but Moses, but Moses, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. He sought the grace of God. Psalm, 103, Psalm 106 verse 23 says, Moses stood in the breach on behalf of the people. As the psalmist is reflecting back to this very instant his situation. Moses interceded on their behalf, but Moses sought the favor of God, sought the grace of God. And then verse 14 says, then the Lord, if you're taking notes, this week I, I would challenge you as I will go through and look at where I have failed God, and then I will look at how Jesus intercedes on my behalf and how my circumstances and my future can change. But in verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. And the word translated relented here in the English is from a Hebrew word that can also be translated repent. It's to have a change of mind, a change of direction. We might say the Lord repented. The Lord didn't have to repent from sin because God is perfect. But God relented, God repented, God changed God's mind from what God would do, was going to do, and spared the people because Moses interceded on their behalf and God had favor among the people. That's the kind of God we worship. 
Years later, Nehemiah was praying to God and recalling how God had mercy on the Israelites. And we find this in the book of Nehemiah. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them, God. They became stiff-necked in their rebellion and appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving, gracious, and compassionate God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. And then Nehemiah continues in his prayer, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way that they were to take. You gave good spirit to instruct your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. What about today? When we, the people, get impatient with God, when we want to do our own deal, when things aren't turning out the way that we would hope, or when things in Scripture don't seem to be unfolding in our lives, we, the people, often can look for a substitute. We get impatient with God. Aaron maybe represents the church as the corporate body of Christ, those who are given the responsibility of the mission of the church and reaching people in this world for Jesus Christ. Often we can put other things before God when things aren't going the way we would like them to or when other churches have things that we want and think that we should have and focus on things like big buildings and attendance and numbers and cash and all of those things, uh, we can put them as golden calves before God if we're not careful. The church today, not this church in particular, but the church in America. But even when we do that, God doesn't fail us because Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Jesus stands in the breach like the psalmist said of Moses, Jesus stands in the gap for us and is at work interceding on our behalf even now with the Father in heaven. And we believe because Jesus stepped in and took our place and is our redeeming Savior, the Lord will be gracious to us and can forgive us of all of our sins. The psalmist writes of this in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For me, and maybe for you, one of the lessons that I glean from this text 
is that we can't have it both ways. As Christian people, we can't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot somewhere else. We can't have a little bit of cross and a little golden calf. We must daily repent and surrender our lives to God and ask Jesus Christ to stand in the breach for us and to trust him as he goes before us. It's not easy. Kingdom work is not easy. Why should it be? The cross was not easy. If we're not careful, we can cheapen the grace of God and make light of the cross. We might want a little bit of golden calf and a little Christianity. Praise God from all blessings, from whom all blessings flow on Sunday and then on Monday. How are we going to make it? I need to check my retirement account. And I need to see how the markets are doing to make sure my future is secure. We pray to the God who made the sea and all that is in it, but then we continue to waste precious natural resources and to treat the earth around us poorly. And there are a lot of other ways that we do this. A little bit of golden calf, a little bit of cross. A little of Aaron is alive in each of us. A little bit of Yahweh and a little bit of golden calf too. And I just ask that each one of us would step back and daily repent of the things that we've done and the things we've left undone and ask Jesus, our intercessor, our mediator, for forgiveness and to help us as we begin a new day. Instead of Moses, it is Jesus who confronts us when we want to have it both ways. Jesus himself said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is right. It is far past time that we try to have our worship, our practice, our lives both ways. Either Jesus is Lord or he's not. The choice is always ours. I pray that we will choose Christ as we seek to be his kingdom people. To see the fulfillment of that prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that we have this ancient story that is still applicable right here and now. Forgive us, God, when we go out on our own and get impatient and make decisions without your guidance. Sometimes your timing is difficult for us as human beings to understand. Help us, God, to trust you. Help us to be faithful to you. You are good. The scriptures show us over and over and over again that you are good. Help us to trust you. And we're thankful 
that we have Jesus standing in the breach for us. In his name we pray.